So this morning we're looking at Joseph. And so Mary's husband, obviously not the father of Jesus, but the guy who plays father for him in Jesus' early years as he's growing up. And uh, I want to start off by asking, have you ever known anybody who just felt like they weren't quite reaching their potential? Or they lived life and it just seemed apparent that they were, they were missing something, that they were meant for something more. Um, and maybe, maybe as you think about, you know, maybe it's a kid, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's yourself, that you're just like, I just feel like I'm, I'm missing something, that I've got potential, I've got something in me that says that I could be doing so much more right now. And that's not to say that all of us need to live great big grand lives. God calls us to live nice, quiet lives, peaceful lives. And so some of us are, are going to live those quiet lives and, and not to, that doesn't minimize the effectiveness that we're having in the place that God has called us to. But I think sometimes we are called for so much more and if we're missing our calling, it can feel like we're just missing something in life all the time. And, and I can't help but wonder if this is Joseph. And to uh, help you understand why I think that, uh, we're going to dive in. We're in Matthew 1. To look at the story of Joseph, and we're going to start right off with everyone's favorite part of Matthew 1, the genealogy. Um, <clears throat> if you have the app, there is a note section. As we read through the genealogy this morning, I want you to take note of any significant names that may stand out to you. So as we're going through, is, is there a name that is like, ha, huh, I didn't realize that was there, or this is an important person? And I want you to just take note of who those people are. So, Matthew 1, there we go. What are the names that stand out? My app isn't working again. Silly thing. Um, okay, Matthew 1, starting in verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Solomon. Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. Okay, we're almost there. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin, the father of Shelatiel, Shelatiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, Abiad, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azar, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliad, Eliad, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. 
all those listed above includes the 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Okay, if you wonder how I can say all those names so well, um, I was once told, if you're not sure how a name is supposed to be said, just say it loud and confidently and everyone will believe that's how it's supposed to be said. So, (laughs) did I say them right? Probably not, but... It sounded good. That was the important thing. Um, so as we went through there, what are some names that stood out to you uh, from the genealogies of Jesus? Anybody? Rahab. Yeah, the prostitute from the city of Jericho who took in the spies. Interesting name to pop up in the, na- in the genealogy of Jesus. Anybody else? Jacob. Yeah. Which Jacob? There's two Jacobs. The first one? First one, yeah. So yeah, um, so we got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The forefathers of Judaism. And most, all Jews could claim that they could trace their family lineage all the way back to those three guys. So um, significant that, yes, he lists Jacob to identify that Jesus, or Joseph, was in fact part of Judaism. Anybody else stand out? shy this morning. You didn't realize it's going to be audience participation, did you? If you're participating online, I can't see it. I'm sorry. David and Bathsheba. So, interesting thing that I noticed as we're going through, it wasn't just David he listed. It was King David. Right? Uh, Everybody who, the 14 guys who followed David are all considered kings, but Matthew makes special mention that it's King David, and that's significant, and we'll come back, we're going to look at that in a bit here. Um, but not only is it David, David had lots of wives and lots of sons, but it's interesting that Jesus' line comes through Bathsheba, the one who has got all the scandal around her story, and it was Solomon who was the child of, that was going to continue the line. So yeah, very interesting uh, note there. One more. Anybody else? The other one that I wanted to point out was Judah. Now, as we go through the genealogies, most of the sons that are listed are the oldest sons of <coughs> the oldest sons of their fathers. That was always the one who carried on the inheritance. But the interesting thing is, is that Judah is not the oldest son of Jacob. Judah is actually the fourth oldest. But Judah, when Moses is divvying out the land and prophesying the future of each of the tribes, Moses looks at Judah and says, out of you is going to come the king. Out of you is going to rise a star. Out of you, and he will rule with an iron scepter. Judah is the son that has all the promise. They go back and his older brothers kind of messed up a little bit and Some would say that because of their actions, they disqualified themselves. And so Judah became the firstborn because he was the... But Judah didn't live a perfect life either. You go back. The interesting thing about Judah is it actually mentions Tamar. (coughs) Tamar was at one point Judah's daughter-in-law. And because of some scandal there, um, she tricked Judah into giving her children. Hezra, or Perez and... I can't remember who this 
was the other one. Um, they were twins born to Tamar from her father-in-law. <laughs> That's weird. Um, Perez and Zerah. So interesting even that Tamar is the one that the line comes through. Interesting that Judah is the one. So Judah has this prophecy, but David also has a prophecy, a promise made to him by God. God tells David that he will never fail to have a, a, an ancestor or a, a descendant who sits on the throne of Israel. And up until the exile, that was true. Every one of the kings of Israel, well, technically Judah after the split of the nation, every one of those kings was a, was a descendant of David. And after the exile, um, Israel didn't have kings anymore. Judah had lost its, had, Judah had, had stopped becoming a nation onto its own and became province of stronger empires. So the fall of Judah came at the hands of the Babylonians. The Babylonians were then conquered by the Persians. The Persians were conquered by the Greeks. The Greeks were conquered by the Romans. And when we get to this point, Ro Judah is not its own nation. It's just a province of the superpower at the time, which is the Roman Empire. And so, you, But you might be asking, you just need to go down a few verses, and we talk about King Herod. Well, King Herod isn't actually a king. Herod, and Herod probably wasn't even Jewish. Herod was a puppet king established by Caesar, and in fact, Herod probably bought the position. So he's not a real king. He's not actually from Judaism, and so he doesn't count against this promise that God had made to David. And it, the, the evidence that he's not a real king is the way that he reacts at the word that a king has been born. He doesn't, like, celebrate the fact that the Jews have their own king all of a sudden. What does he do? He gets violent. He eradicates all of the boys to and under in the area that Jesus was born. Oh, good response. <clears throat> the interesting thing is that if the exile had never happened and everything continued the way that it was, when we get to Joseph, Joseph would have technically been in line to be king over Israel. This is, he has royalty in his blood. He is a son of promise. He is supposed to be sitting on the throne. But what do we know about Joseph? What is he doing at the time when this happens? Do we, does anybody know? Doesn't say in the you don't can't look at Matthew one. Doesn't say. Later on, they're talking about Jesus, and they say that he's a son of a carpenter. Joseph is meant for royalty. Joseph is meant to be ruling the nation, and he is a carpenter because of everything that has happened, because of how the cards have been dealt. But he has greatness inside of him. And this is significant because Joseph is not just the guy who's married to Mary. He's not just the guy who's going to take care of Mary when Jesus is born. Joseph actually, is the actually helps the fulfillment of so much prophecy because Jesus is technically his son. Now Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise to David because Jesus will never cease to be king over Israel and by extension king over the kingdom of God. So Joseph is not just some dude who happened to be married to Mary at the time when the virgin gave birth to the son. Joseph actually fills this role of he is of royal descent, and because of his royal descent, it's passed on to Jesus as his technically his firstborn. And now Jesus is the promised king that Israel has been so desperately waiting for. And when we talked about the kings, we talked about how they needed a better king. Well, huh, Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus is the better king. He's the shepherd that Israel needed. In fact, not just Israel, but he's the shepherd that all the world needs. 
Anyways, continuing on, let's get to the actual story of Joseph. There's a lot in the genealogy, and I think I wanted to park on that for a little bit because there's nothing in Scripture that's there by accident, and there's nothing in there in Scripture that's there to inconvenience us. Right? We get to the genealogy, it's like, oh, I hope I don't get tested on that when I get to the gates because I'm not going to remember all these names. But it's, it's, there's significance in the genealogy. It's there for a reason, and for the reason for Matthew is to remind us that Jesus isn't just some random dude. He is actually the child of promise. He is the promised king through the actual line of David. Okay, verse 18, continuing on. Uh, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man but, and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to make Mary your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. So based on that little passage, um, what do we know about Joseph? So I, I, spoiler alert, I told you that he was a carpenter. Um, but what else? What else? What did, what, what did that quick little blurb say he was? Any, anything? He's righteous. That's important, Right? Of all the things Luke or Matthew records about him, he is righteous. What else? I'm gonna. It, the second one's super painfully obvious. Well, he's righteous. That 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 goes hand in hand with that. He's engaged to Mary, right? That's what I mean. The painfully obvious one. He's he's righteous. He's engaged to Mary, and and the third one, not so obvious. He's very conflicted. Right? He's conflicted when the news... That's all we know about the man. We don't know how old he is. We don't know what he's doing at this point in time. Like I said, we find out later. Um, we don't know anything about this dude other than the fact that he's engaged to Mary and he's righteous. And it's no wonder he gets breezed over so often. And, and now he's, he's faced with this very difficult situation. He finds out that his fiance is, is pregnant um, and she's telling him it's from the Holy Spirit. And I've talked about this in the past, like, yeah, sure, okay. Really, Mary, you want me to buy that one? Like, like, you, you just woke up one morning pregnant? Like, come on. Um, but I have, I've, as I was thinking about it th this past week, um, there's more than just that going on. Because Joseph knows Mary. Mary is not some far-off, figurative person that, she, that he's analyzing just completely logically, but this is someone that he's invested in. This is someone he has relationship with. This is somebody that he knows and he trusts, and so he wants to believe her. He wants to believe her that she, you know, this is, for her to go off and cheat on him would be so out of her character that when she says that this is from the Holy Spirit, he, inside, it's like, okay, but I know he wouldn't do this to me, so 
yeah, I want to believe you. Yeah, I want to. And, and I was wondering if you've ever felt stuck. Uh-oh, of course you're not going to work for me, silly thing. You ever felt stuck trying to do the right thing? And this is what Joseph is doing. Joseph, as a righteous person, knows what the law says. What does the law say? She cheated on him. Uh, by law, her and the guy that she was with are to die by throwing up rocks, known as stoning. Not getting stoned, but stoning, throwing up rocks. Um, that's what the law says. So the righteous person, he knows this, that there's a death penalty along with this. But he loves her. This is someone that he's meant to spend the rest of his life with. Does he want her to die? Of course not. Does he want her to, does he want to believe that she is unfaithful? Of course he doesn't. And so he's stuck trying to figure out what is the right thing to do. Oh, now we're just going to be difficult this morning, aren't we? Okay. Um, and I wonder how often we, we find ourselves in this situation, right? Where there's the right thing to do that, you know, based on your teaching, based on your upbringing, based on whatever is going on, there's the right thing to do, and it's always going to be the right thing to do. But then sometimes the right thing doesn't always feel like the right thing because there's a person involved, and we don't want to hurt the person. We don't want to distance them from us. We don't want to distance them from whatever's going on. And so there's kind of these two right things, and which is the right one to go with? And how do we decide that? How do we know which one to go with? And, and sometimes it's situational. Sometimes it's there's a time where we got to follow the right thing based on law, based on uh, the teaching, based on what we know. And sometimes there's a time to do the right thing based on our heart. And I feel like this is where Joseph's at. His head's telling him one thing and his heart's telling him the other. And he's trying to decide which one he's going to follow. And we're going to find ourselves in these situations, especially as followers of Christ, because the right thing according to God's law, and sometimes the right thing based on grace and love and forgiveness, and these things sometimes feel like they're opposed to each other. So how do we know which one we need to follow? And have we sometimes erred the wrong way sometimes? So I feel like it's a, <laughs> you can either look at it as a win-win or a lose-lose. Right? If we do this one, then it's going to have these consequences. And if we do this one, we're going to have these consequences. And so how do we decide which consequence is the one we're going to go with? And for Joseph, he's in this tough spot. He doesn't want Mary to die, but he's righteous and he knows that there's a right thing to do. But Joseph is, shows himself to be very wise and very shrewd in this moment because he has a third alternative. So when it says that he's going to divorce her quietly, what he's, what he's doing is there's another part of the law that we sometimes don't look at. And the way that Moses wrote the law was that if, if a man were, was to sleep with a virgin, so someone who's not engaged to anyone, someone who's single, someone who's never been with anybody, the law said that he had to marry this woman that he slept with. So what Joseph is doing is that as long as she's engaged, Mary's technically his wife and technically falls under this adultery law that he ne she needs to die along with the other person. But if he divorces her quietly and now she's single, now she's technically a virgin who's not committed to anybody, the law now makes an allowance for her to live, but he, she now has to marry the guy who's the father of the child she's bearing. So Joseph has found this loophole where he's still doing the right thing and he's, he's found a way for her to live and unfortunately it just means that he can't be with her anymore. 
but he loves her enough that he wants her to live. He wants her child to live. He, he has found this, this loophole. But he's not committed to it yet because it says that the angel arrives just as he's contemplating it and says, okay, don't be afraid. This is all going to work out. This is all part of God's plan. Uh, by the way, the son that she's going to bear is going to save his people from their sins. And this is the big one that I, as we look at Joseph, imagine being Joseph. Okay, guys, I'm going to put it on you. Fathers, or soon-to-be fathers, or imagine being Joseph. Guess what? Your, your fiance is pregnant. She's going to have give birth to a son. Uh, the son is going to save the world from his sins. And guess who he's going to be looking to as an example of righteousness and goodness and, and godliness? <laughs> Good luck. Like, boom. Bunch of pressure just gets dropped on Joseph. Joseph now has to be the stand-in father for this boy who one day is going to save the world. No pressure. The reason this stands out to me is that I can't help but wonder if we sometimes don't take this, take the role of being um, positive role models serious enough. So as parents, obviously, we are the continual example to our kids of what a godly man and a godly woman looks like. But if you, even for those that are, if you're grandparents at this time, or if you don't have kids, you still are, as, if, as part of the church body, the kids are still watching you. There's still a generation that's behind you who's looking up to you, and they're hearing your stories even when you think they're not listening. And they're watching you, and they're watching your mannerisms. And that Kids are just little sponges. And when they're around adults, that sponginess just gets amplified, it feels like, right? And they just absorb everything. How many parents wish that our kids only ever absorb the good things that we do? Right? When we, yeah, I'm right there. But what do they absorb? Everything. Especially the things you don't want them to do. It's like, why? Why did you hear somebody at church slip once, say a word they're not supposed to say, and now you're going to repeat it? Like, why? Why did you hear that joke, and now it's the funniest thing you've ever heard, and you just want to tell everybody? It's just like, ah! Especially for me, okay? As the pa- why, is my pastor's, why is the pastor's kid telling this joke to people? <gasps> it's not just at church. It's in the movies. It's, right, they pick up everything. And, I wa- and <laughs> some of our kids... And our kids are going to fall in the same categories as we are. Some of our kids are going to live quiet lives, humble lives. But some of our kids are destined for great things. And we don't know which ones are which. And I wonder how often we get to church and, and we kind of drop our guard. And it's good to drop our guard. It's good to feel safe and just be, have the freedom to just be ourselves at church. But I wonder how often we get caught just... <laughs> dropping our faith one time too many and our kids are picking up the things that and and what that communicates when we put down our guard and when it communicates when we are like you know what today i'm just not going to act very godly what does that tell our kids that it's okay to drop it it's okay you know faith is only important certain times at other times it's okay to be completely ungodly and 
Because it's not just Joseph who's going to feel this weight as he gets to be the example of godliness for this young man who's destined to save the world. Every one of our kids has the potential to do great and amazing things, and they are watching us. They are listening to the words. They are watching how often, you know, I think of for our house, I'm, they're watching how often we read the Bible. I still remember there's times where, you know, I, you know, we have a tough week and the kids are, you know, the kids are sick, so you're up all night and you're just like, you know what, I just want to sleep in and you know, I'm just not going to, it's okay if I don't do my devotions today. I still remember the one morning I got up and I was just going to sit, so I'd been up all night with one of the kids and I was just going to sit and watch TV with the other one and, and they, she caught me and she was like, Dad, why aren't you doing your devotions? <clears throat> Thanks, Holy Spirit, for that, using my child to throw, lay that one on me. Right? They're watching. They're watching how often we're praying. They're watching the things that we pray for. They're listening to what we pray for and why we pray for it. They're listening to the, the jokes that we tell and the shows that we watch. Right? I, I just think of the one night, um, Friday night, I got home. Michelle was running youth for us. And so I was at home, and the kids, the one kid was still kind of awake, and I turned on my show, and she's like, what are you watching? A daddy show. Stop asking. What's a daddy show? Go to bed. <clears throat> and I'm like, okay, mm, now I got to I, I can't watch that anymore because I feel bad. And what is the example we're setting? What is the example we're setting to our kids? What is the example? And it's not just our kids, but it's the kids around. You are, you get to be aunts and uncles to every one of the kids that's in our church. It's a good time for Arlie to show up, right? Because, like, my kids and all the kids who come through the door, they're watching and they're listening, and, and you are inadvertently molding our kids into the men and women that God has called them to be. And so how are you molding them? What is the imprint you're leaving on them? Because you are a part of their development. You're a part of their growth. And so... What's the example we're setting? Father, as we, we wrap up our service this morning, God, I just want to take a moment and pray for Tanya and Alexei and their family. God, I thank you that even though they are, it seems like, on the other side of the world, um, your spirit is there with them, and we join them, join together with them, and we pray for Alexei's recovery, God, that you would heal him. God, as he is, uh, he's not doing well, and you know all the ins and outs, you know what needs to be done, and so God, we just pray for your miraculous healing, your miraculous touch on him right now. God, I pray for comfort for the family, comfort for the group of people that they've been ministering to lately, um, but God, I just pray for your healing. Pray, God, for uh, good news, and this week, God, is we hear that you have moved in a mighty way and you have returned him back to health and he's able to do what you've called him to do, God. Um, and God, that it would not happen again. Whatever caused this situation, God, would be removed from him as far as the east is from the west and that he would be healy, healthy, healed, and uh, ready to continue on. And this would just be another testimony that he gets to share. God, we pray for all the leaders on, uh, on this page, God, as they serve in so many different ways. God, we pray for the churches that are represented. Um, God, just that you would continue to lead the leaders that you put there as well. 
And Father, as we wrap up, I just pray for everyone who is not well. Everything from uh, simply a cold to a fever. God, all those that are wrestling with cancer and, and greater things right now. Father, I just pray for your healing on all of them. God, I pray for our church body and for our community as it is that time of year where we're getting stressed out, we're getting tired because there's so much going on at Christmas. God, we that you would energize people, you would strengthen them, and you give us all that we need to push through, God, and to put it all aside to remember that this is a season of worshiping Jesus and all that you've done and who you are in our lives. Um, Jesus, we love you. We just want to honor you this Christmas season. Thank you for coming. Thank you for all that you are in our lives. Uh, in your precious name I pray. Amen.